Hey, podcast family. Did you know that on May 2nd and 3rd, 2024, our 3D Growth Summit is happening in Nashville, Tennessee? But in-person tickets are already sold out with nearly 400 attendees. But you don't have to miss out. You can get exclusive access to our live stream and post-event recordings for just $395. Yes, you heard that right. For a single fee, you and your entire dental team can learn from our industry leaders with online recordings available after the event. So secure your spot now before it's too late by visiting www.3d-dentist.com slash 3D Summit or give us a call at 855-332-2285 and get your tickets for the live stream and event recording today. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Hey there, gang. Thank you for tuning in again. I want to thank you for your support of T-Bone Speaks and certainly our seminar company, 3D Dentist. Today, I'm going to have an interview and a conversation with Mr. Hutan Shahidi. We're going to talk about all things medical billing in the dental practice. The most common subject where we get the most number of questions is on medical billing. There is so much confusion out there. There is so much overwhelming information. My goal today is to help break down some of that confusion, to get rid of some of that overwhelm, and help you help your practice by understanding medical billing more and help you make a decision if medical billing is right for your practice. Let's go ahead and cut to our interview with Mr. Hutan Shahidi. Welcome to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal where our goal is to change the way you practice dentistry by helping you achieve clinical, financial, and personal balance. Now, here's your host, T-Bone. Hutan, how are you doing, sir? How are you, T-Bone? Good having you. Thanks for having me. Listen, I know you own a medical billing company, okay? So one of the things that you probably don't understand sometimes is why there's so much confusion. And, you know, because one of the things we all struggle with when we know our area of expertise is we don't really get why other people don't understand this sometimes. So um, what I want to focus on today is having a good two-way conversation to answer some of the most common questions that I'm seeing from dentists about medical billing. I have one simple goal today, and that goal is to help dentists decide whether or not this is something they want to pursue for their practice. You got it. Sounds good. Let's get started. Absolutely. So let's start with this. Who is medical good or not good for? What, in your experience, having billed for thousands of customers, who is medical billing good or not good for? Okay, so we'll start with good. Uh, The offices that are good for, that it's good for, are the ones that have cone beam, uh, the ones that perform routinely oral surgery, uh, maybe do some periodontal surgery, uh, and also do appliance therapy, whether that's for sleep apnea, bruxism, or TMD. Uh, The second part of your question, or the second question, who is it not good for? That might be for a practice that's very heavily restorative, doesn't necessarily have advanced imaging, doesn't do their own oral surgery, doesn't do their own periodontal surgery, or an office that is demographically in an area where they are surrounded by a lot of HMO medical plans, or they are a Medicaid office, which is a state-funded program. You know, I'd probably add one more thing to that. You know, the other area where I would say that an office isn't great for medical billing, uh, maybe a practice where, quite frankly, they don't need the extra revenue. 
you know, where medical billing may add one more layer of confusion sure. for their patients. In other words, that would be very specific. I mean, we're talking about a small percentage Unique. of practices, okay? But a practice where they're fee-for-service already, they have a very high case acceptance rate, and the patients pay up front, and the patients don't necessarily need uh, to make treatment more affordable for I would them. agree with that. So, but again, that represents a very small percentage of the practice. Okay? Very small. Uh, and so, so what I'm hearing and what I want to do, because I'm focused on helping dentists make that decision of whether or not medical billing is right for their practice, uh, what I would say is, are you looking to grow your practice? Okay, are you looking to expand and grow your revenue? And are you looking to expand the number of procedures that you're doing? Now, the reason I say the number of procedures is because what we've seen in our own practice is now... Once we start to understand medical billing, we understand what procedures have good reimbursement through medical billing, and then we start focusing or adding those procedures. Example, infant phenectomies. That was a procedure we just weren't doing just a year ago. Mm-hmm. But because we know that it's a very medically, medically necessary procedure with good reimbursement through medical insurance, we're at offering that service in our practice. As a side note to that, do you know why that is? Um, Sure, no, I don't. But I, I mean, I do, but let's go for uh, for our audience, most medical plans in the U.S., PPO plans, point-of-service plans, even HMO plans, have a stipulation that a phrenectomy for a tongue tie mm-hmm. is almost, I mean, I don't want to say universally, but well over 90% of plans cover it so long as the patient is of one year of age or less. Wow. That's and why that's, it's so successful. And that's what we're seeing. We're mm-hmm. seeing two-month-old, three-month-old, six-month-old patients come in, and it's a new procedure for our practice uh, with good reimbursement. And quite frankly, it's a really good procedure. It is. uh, That not only for the... Well, the infant doesn't really necessarily see it and see it at this point, but the mothers and the fathers do. Sure. You know, they're really seeing a big difference there. All right, so that's good. So we've covered uh, who medical insurance is good for and not good for. Now, let's focus on what are some of the common challenges that a practice may face and implementing medical billing in their, in, in, into their workflow. So common common issues uh, that we typically hear, um, and I'll list them and then we can go into a little bit detail about each. Um, one is the doctor talking to me and saying, well, I don't know if my team's going to onboard this. Okay. Rather, They're we, not going to embrace it. They're not going to embrace it. And we can talk about staff. Uh, yes. Staff won't accept it. Uh, another one is, you know, I don't know, because of my lack of knowledge overall of medical billing, mm-hmm. I don't know what systems to put into place, which is fair, because if okay. you don't know what you're trying, what goal you're trying to achieve, what systems can you put in place to get there? Then the third one is, I'm just too busy. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm busy doing implants, I'm busy doing uh, crowns, my, my team, they're, they're pushed to the, to the brim, they can't do one more thing. So that kind of all ties in together. You know, I want to talk about that I'm too busy part real quick. Mm-hmm. I would caveat that and say typically the practices that I'm hearing that are too busy aren't the surgically oriented practice or the implant practices. These are the practices where the bulk of their work is fillings and crowns. Uh, because to be able to create great revenue and to have a good practice lifestyle doing fillings and crowns, you have to see a lot of patients and do a lot of work. And... Uh, just as a side note, uh, typically the practices that are too busy are the practices doing, uh, you know, traditional, you know, what I call beginner level dentistry. 
Okay, so let's go back. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about staff or team. We, I don't want to get into that whole thing with me, but uh, talk to us about team getting on board. So part of it is is that, the, the and this is more relationship-driven inside the practice, it goes back to the leader. The leader, the dentist, feels, okay, well, if I throw one more thing at them, and especially one as complicated as medical billing, then there's going to be like some kind of revolt against me. Um, whereas where I, I take it as, you know, if you have the right team, they should want to do better for your patients. Uh, you should probably talk to them about bringing this on board and keep them included. You know, you always push for, hey, you know, doctor and team member, right. member being at the course. There's obviously a reason for that because they should both be on the same page. I think the biggest mistake that happens, and it's even happened with clients of ours, is the doctor signs up and just throws it. Yeah, with no level of leadership. With nothing. And yeah. says, hey, you need to make this work. Well, that that's a little unfair. And, you know, I, I'll go one step with that. It's not, I, I think there's a level of unfairness to that, okay? And I think it's okay to throw things to the team, but I think what happens is we don't have any level of accountability. And so the team member just says it doesn't work. And when we don't engage or have a level of accountability, uh, that makes it harder. So the next thing you, that you had mentioned was systems, okay? And this is something that I'm very, I understand clearly because um, we were doing medical billing three or four years ago, and I would probably say our level of medical billing was probably like the vast majority of that are doing medical billing. I mean, look, let's break it down. 95% of practices don't do any medical billing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, okay. absolutely. And then so now we have 5% of the practices that are doing medical billing. And I would probably say that 50 to 60% of them really don't engage in medical billing. They do it here and there, one-off, here and there, and that kind of stuff. And to me, that really boils down to not having a system in place. And I think one of the things, going from my own experience, is that when we think of systems, we have this tendency to really overcomplicate a system. Like a system has to be something really complicated. And I would say a system is pretty simple. You know, to me, a good system, a good workflow is something that's very simple and implementable. And to me, the system in medical billing is admin, clinical admin. You know, and we talk about that in our, in our lectures and certainly in our courses. And, uh, and we can do some more webinars and time together where we get into more detail on that. Uh, but the system doesn't have to be all that complicated. No, I... Uh... Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast family. T-Bone here to talk about the 3D Dentist Digital Implant Continuum. Are you ready to start placing dental implants but feeling a bit hesitant and or overwhelmed? I know that feeling. I've been there. Let's change that together. Imagine not just learning about dental implants in a classroom, but actually performing surgeries on real patients right here in North Carolina, guided every step of the way by our expert 3D mentors. This is dental implant learning at its best, using techniques that are safe, predictable, and confidence-boosting. They're exactly what I use in my own practice, so you know they work. Our course goes beyond clinical skills. We prepare you to successfully integrate high-demand implant services into your practice, transforming your career by attracting new patients and elevating your practice. And it doesn't end with the course. Completing our program is just the beginning of a new journey. You'll be a part of a community of confident, skilled dentists with ongoing support to ensure lasting success and growth. After all, this is about mastering a skill that can transform your career, 
just like it did for me. So are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Visit www.3d-dentist.com. Check out our upcoming sessions and join us to revolutionize your practice. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Something basic that I always tell offices, uh, you know, so some offices will say, hey, you know, what about if my patient has a high deductible? Or what about uh, if the claim takes two or three months to pay? All great points, but here it is. If you are an office, which most in the U.S. are, out of network with medical mm-hmm. carriers, or, and let's even argue even if you weren't, even if you were in network, then my, what I always say is, whatever dental is going to pay you for, please go ahead and pursue it. Extraction, a PA, or a bite wing, please send it to dental. On the flip side of that same logic, if you are guaranteed to get a denial from dental, whether that's cone beam, the third exam of the year, uh, a pano denied due to frequency, a sinus lift, uh, an implant, then you should not hesitate for one second to submit to medical. Also, it should not trip up your AR because you have already spent years of dealing with all these procedures you do that dental doesn't cover, you should still go ahead and collect up front like you've been doing all these years, but go ahead and submit that claim to medical. It's still a huge benefit to your practice uh, because, well, what about if the patient gets reimbursed? So, So let's actually talk about what happens if we submit that claim. If we submit a claim for something dental won't pay, here's what's gonna happen. It could deny and still contribute to the patient's out-of-pocket maximum. It could process and go towards the patient's deductible, which means ethically you still did the right thing. You took the, the money from the patient up front right. and you let it go towards the patient's deductible. Or money comes back to either you or the, the patient, which means you returned expendable income back to the patient's pocket, which maybe then will be easier for you to say, uh, schedule the abutment and crown, or whatever it else it is you might want to do for the patient because you've returned that expendable income. And none of this hurt your AR, and whether it took two weeks for that medical claim to pay or six weeks, how did it hurt you? There's, there's no hurt. It doesn't. No. So um, <clears throat> the next thing is being too busy. You know, um, I want to address that. Okay, I, to be honest with you, I don't even totally understand that. Yeah, I always find I, I that do. to be bizarre. It, it is bizarre, but I, I understand that. And really, what's happening is it's not simple, right? It's not boom, boom, boom. It's not what we've been taught. It requires not only a little bit of a mindset change; it also requires some level of practice philosophy change. Sure. Okay, and it takes some time. And what I'm seeing with people that are too busy is they're too busy doing the basic same things over and over again. And the too busy part is also that they're not willing to put the time and effort and go through the learning curve and what I call the pain, the time of pain uh, in implementing something. Uh, so, so those are the most common reasons. So, you know, one would be, uh, you know, staff systems and being too busy are the most common reasons uh, that we, the most common challenges to getting started. The other one too, T-Bone, uh, that I hear that, we weren't talking about earlier today, um, but I think you and I see it a lot in the Facebook forums and stuff is, well, where do I get uh, the procedure codes or mm-hmm. where do I get the diagnosis codes? You know, this is right up my alley, right? Well, I think you. I think recently you had a little bit of a tantrum about it, I think somewhere yeah. on, on Facebook or whatever, but I, I would I would agree with you. Uh, 
they're on Google. Yeah, I mean, they're cool. all free. Um, yeah. you There's know, no magic behind this. No. Uh, worst case scenario, I mean, literally, worst case scenario is you can order the CPT 2018 book and an IC10 book from Amazon. Right. I mean, that's... If I mean, you, you don't really, have to order it. It's available for free It's all available Google. for free on the internet, but let's say even if Google, yeah. for some reason, was out of touch with you, just you could you could literally buy these books at even a Barnes & Noble. Yeah. So it's, Barnes & Noble, what's that? Yeah, well, it's the old bookstore, yeah. right? So, uh, so even in regards to that, well, where do I get the codes or where do I find them? Well, that's an easy part, but I, I'd also like to say to the, to any of our audience who, who thinks it's that simple, there's a little bit more to it. It's not just a matter of just, oh, well, I have the codes and I throw them on a piece of paper, I send it in and it gets reimbursement. There's a little bit more detail to it. But for those who are curious, please look them up on Google. It's very easy to find procedure codes and ICD-10 codes. Absolutely. So... What would you say to the practices that said, hey, you know, I've heard that medical billing doesn't work? Uh, the, the first thing I usually ask uh, an office that says medical billing doesn't work is how many claims have you submitted? 95% Or how many claims has the person who told you it doesn't work submitted? Right. That's what I mean. And usually the answer is, oh, well, we sent in three and they were all denied. Yeah. Okay, um, well, the, the problem with that, and, and though three claims is three claims, the problem with that is, at least from my knowledge, uh, there's a little over 200 insurance carriers. Uh, and then if you talk about the big ones, like Aetna and United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shields, Blue Cross Blue Shields, there's a ton of employers, right? And each of those employers bought a specifically underwritten plan for... Yeah, they customize it for themselves. Correct, especially the big guys, like Target and Walmart, they have unbelievable buying power. So in regards to three, three claims, three claims doesn't really tell you about all these different carriers with all these different employers. And then T-Bone, even within the employers, the executive plan. Oh, yeah. The and, different levels of plans and, are very And different. I don't mean to be mean, but the lower level plans, you know, for, for people who are more on the minimum wage side is way different. Uh, and it should be, quite frankly. Yeah. So, so three, claims doesn't, three claims doesn't really tell you what's going on. Then the next question I, I asked that same person is, are you sure you did those three claims right? Yeah. Did somebody check them for you? Did you write, use the right CPT code, IC10 code, qualifiers, modifiers? So was the claim completely done right? Um, and so usually at that point, the doctor or the team member will be like, you know what? Yeah, I agree. Maybe three wasn't enough. Um, maybe we should try more. I, I, I will say there are offices. I, will, I have seen it. There are offices that are in areas where Literally 90% of the patients might have an HMO plan or 90% of the patients have uh, very, very high deductibles. That does happen. Uh, but on the flip side, I know of plenty of offices uh, that are in areas where everybody has less than a $1,000 deductible. High-end, kind of corporate or affluent type areas. So there's all different types of places. But if you do not really attempt this, now what I would say is really give an effort for 50 to 100 claims you really don't know what you're missing out on. The other part too is if you only focus those 50 claims or 20 claims, whatever it is you send out, only on one procedure, yeah. you're still... That's what I was gonna say. The third question I would say to those who say it's not successful, I would say what procedures did, did you, you send? You know, did you send all on four cases? Look, the chances of getting paid for something like that are definitely less. And number one, I would argue that 
they're going to wholesale deny that procedure the first time to begin with because it's a complex case, all those things. Did you do a pre-authorization? All kinds of stuff that go with that. Sure. Okay. So, so it comes back to if you've heard that medical billing doesn't work, the things to ask yourself are how many claims did you send or the person that told you, you know, what area are they in and what kind of plans are in that area, and then what kind of procedures were these claims for? Sure. And, and that really will tell you whether or not... What would you give me a tip? Okay, give me like one tip uh, where somebody could find out if medical billing. What could they do to find out if medical billing will work in their practice? Uh, I think the the probably the the best way to gauge it is to, uh, and this is something we tell people yeah. who call us uh, and ask us the same question: spend five to ten days, depending on how many patients you yeah. see per day. If you see twenty patients per day, then five days is enough. Tell your team, I want every single card scanned, front and back copy, five days, no exception. I don't care if they have Medicare. I don't care if they have... What they have, yeah. What they have. Just front and back scan. Scan them, throw them all into one single folder on one computer. After that week has gone by, sit down, doctor and team members, sit down and individually look at these. Typically, insurance cards in the lower right or the upper right We'll say PPO, POS, HMO, whatever it might be. I think they're all POSs, but that's just me. <laughs> so if you're a practice that and you do that and you're 90% PPO. It's right for you. You should start billing medical immediately. If you are. I want to back up on that for a second. You said you should start billing medical immediately. I would rephrase that. And what I would say is you should. Be, you should say, yes, I can be building medical, and let me get the knowledge or whatever it takes to be able to do it. Sure, so, sure. Thank yeah. you for clarifying. If, uh, if, on the other hand, you do that same exercise and you are 90% HMO, I'm not saying that you shouldn't necessarily want to build medical or you shouldn't do medical billing, but you should have a realistic expectation that you're only going to be able to bill one out of ten times at best. What if a practice is 50-50? I would say, say still do it. Okay. Uh, you know, my, my personal belief is even for those offices that are claimed to be fee-for-service and high mm -hmm. case acceptance, I'm always about customer service. If sure. I can help a patient, I'm in. So that's my opinion. And I know for some offices that might not, not, not be the best idea. So I'm, I, I'm pretty sure everybody listening to us, you know, our, our family of, of friends and colleagues uh, in the position where they want to help their patients. Our, our family and friends, I, yeah. I, I would agree, but, um, it, you know, and obviously I'll never point anybody out specifically, but I've had practices tell me that I'm not really interested in financially helping my patient. Well, that's fine. And, and that, that, that's, there's, there's some fairness to that. No, and, and their objective is clinical, and that's yeah. fine. That's totally that's totally okay. There's nothing nothing bad about that. Um, so, so I'd be in to help the patient. 50-50, 5 out of 10 times is still pretty good. Yeah. Um, a lot of our clients who are quote unquote very happy with medical billing are only probably you know sending out twenty thirty percent of their patients' cases. Yeah. So fifty is actually pretty good. I, I would agree. So Hutan, we've talked about some of the common myths and challenges that practices face. Some of the reasons that they have heard or believe that they're unsuccessful. Let, let's move on to what what procedures. What, what procedures are very common that a practice can build to medical insurance? I think some of the easiest ones right off the bat are... Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, podcast family. 
T-Bone here bringing you our newest live patient implant training, Full Arch Express. For dentists already placing implants and ready to level up and continue building their implant practice, this is the golden ticket. We're diving deep into Full Arch Implants, the hottest game changer in implant dentistry. In this program, we tackle both overdentures and all annex fixed hybrids, mastering techniques that are essential for modern, comprehensive dental care. It's about getting your hands on the tools and techniques that will replace the doubt and fear with confidence and predictability. Here's the kicker. There's live patient training right here in North Carolina. You're not just learning theories. You're in the operatory doing real work on real patient from start to finish, guided one-on-one by our expert 3D mentors. You'll learn the nuances of each approach, ensuring you can cater to a wide range of patients to maximize revenue. Speaking of revenue, with me, you know it's not just about the clinical skills. We're bringing business into this aspect too, teaching you how to integrate these advanced services profitably into your practice. So are you ready to rise up to the top in implant dentistry? Join us at the Full Arch Express. This isn't just another course, it's a career-defining leap. Head to www.3d-dentist.com to enroll in our next session. 3D Dentist is truly committed to helping dentists take control of their practice, finances, and future. Now, back to this week's episode. Examinations. Uh, it's also probably something that offices do the most of. Right. You know, an office might do 20, 30 implants a month, but they might do 150. I don't think there are many offices doing 20, 30 implants. I'm just month. saying. But, they might, but that same office that is doing 20, 30 implants a month might be doing 150 exams. If not uh, more, a month. Um, I would argue that most offices are doing uh, somewhere between sixteen and twenty exams per day. The t- traditional practice is a single dentist, two hygienists. Right there with two hygienists, you're seeing fifteen to twenty patients right there. So there's fifteen to twenty exams per day there. Sure, uh, your imaging. Uh, your all start as basic as your bite wounds and PAs, and then move up FMX, PANSEF, CT. So again, a, an implant practice, you probably have your own CBCT unit. Uh, so those those are, I think, the basics to start with. They're the simplest and the most straightforward cases. So, Bobby, what you're saying are these are the, those those two things are procedures that nearly every practice does is doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even if you don't have cone beam, you still are probably taking PAs or bite wings at a minimum. So what I'm hearing from you is that what you're saying is literally every practice has the potential to bill medical insurance. Absolutely. Correct. Because they're doing procedures already that are medically necessary. I mean, it's right. impossible for a practice not to do exams. Correct. Okay. Correct. And take x-rays. Correct. No matter what kind of practice you are. Absolutely correct. Okay. I, I totally agree. Now, what about some intermediary procedures, something that maybe not every practice is doing, but a lot of practices are doing? Um, I think it's pretty common. I could be wrong. You're a clinician. You correct mm-hmm. me. I think a lot more offices now are doing their own grafting. Okay. So, so surgical procedures. So some of the surgical procedures that we do are billable to medical insurance? Yes. Can you give us some examples? Uh, it's actually all oral surgery procedures are okay. billable to medical. So this is going to be extraction, bone grafts, membranes, uh, sinus lifts, uh, INDs, uh, gingivectomies, connective tissue grafts. So wide myriad of different things can be covered. Obviously not everybody's doing those different types of procedures. Or they're doing those procedures, and as you and I have learned over the years, just simply not billing for it. Right. How many times have you and I asked somebody, hey, do you actually remove the granuloma? Do you remove right. the cyst? Do you bill for it? No. 
So that's another part of the education component is, you know, we were talking about you could hand somebody the codes, but if there's not a good dialogue between front and back and a little bit of a system, these things can easily fall through the cracks. Yeah. So, so I want to wrap up kind of what you said there, okay? So I think what I'm hearing is that there's five categories of procedures. Uh, one is exams, two is x-rays, three is surgical procedures, four is appliance therapy, whether it's a sleep apnea, whether it's a night guard, whether it's a TMD appliance. Sure, and, and the fifth? Or surgical stent, or the fifth would be trauma. Yes. Okay, um, so those are the areas. And more specifically, and this is the emphasis I really put on uh, when I'm talking to people about medical insurance, is really, in the beginning, focus on those things that you're giving away for free, mm -hmm. or those things that you're doing and not even realize. So I want to. What I would like to do is give an example of each one of those things. Okay. Uh, so, so in exams, that would be that third hygiene visit that MetLife makes me write off every year. Post op. Okay. Exams. That would be the suture removal. Mm -hmm. Okay. That we just we see patients for. Uh, those would be good examples of exams. On the X-rays, that would be X-rays we take for extractions. <laughs> X-rays we take for after implant placement. X-rays we take after root canals. Mm -hmm. You know, those things that dental consider part of the procedures. Those are things that we can build to medical. Sure. Now, when we come to appliances, sleep appliances you know, uh, occlusal orthotics, all of those things are examples of procedures that we're doing that we can build to medical insurance. And then when it comes to surgery, uh, things like, for example, I, I'm notoriously bad about doing membranes. Uh, you know, I'll plan the graft and then the buckle plate will be missing and I'll stick a membrane in there. You know, those are areas that we can build to medical insurance. And, uh, you know, uh, another surgical procedure I think that sometimes we do that we don't charge for is INDs. You know, where right, and these and another one is gingivectomies. And gingivectomies, absolutely, yeah. So you know, those are those are areas that uh, would you know essentially giving away or leaving money on the table, and then trauma. I think um, we're all doing trauma cases. We just don't sometimes realize that patient falls down, broke a tooth, patient gets hit in the getting hit in the elbow. Absolutely. Whether it's their fault, somebody else's yeah. fault, or total accident, it's still considered a trauma. Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the areas where I would say the common procedures which we covered five main categories. Now certainly there's much more than that, okay? But in the beginning we want to focus on the five procedures and then specifically what I want to do is give some examples within that those categories of areas where dentists are leaving things on the table because they're just not billing for them, okay? And to me that's where I really found medical billing to be unbelievably helpful as those things that we've been uh, not, not getting reimbursed for at all, okay? So, now, we've talked about some common myths, some challenges, some things like that. What are the benefits? Why should a practice even, what are the benefits to the practice for implementing medical billing? Uh, overall, uh, we hit the main point right now. We just talked about it's the stuff you leave on the table, right? So, so increasing revenue. Right. So when I first started this company four or five years ago, there was hundreds, maybe even over a thousand dentists I spoke to that were doing comb beam for free. Right. I was, I'm guilty of part of that. I mean, I, I was out there telling people, you know, it's not necessarily the cone beam. It's the diagnosis and the treatment that you get from it. So money on the table. Um, and then uh, how much exams get done for free? A lot. Um, uh, for example. Uh, I think one of the big things is most dentists don't even realize what exams are. Right. Uh, and in some places it's routine. Like, for example, with orthodontics, you oh, know, yeah. exam in Pano uh, or exam in Ceph, free, you know, free consults. Uh, consults all together. Oh, yeah, just, I mean that's like notorious everywhere in our profession. Everybody's doing free consults. Uh, so many of them. The PAs and the bite wings that you hit on that we that we do for free. 
um, uh, just the surgical steps that you miss. So we were talking about extractions. Well, an extraction is just for the tooth itself. Now, if you're removing a granuloma or a cyst, there's a whole separate dental code. There's a whole separate medical code that corresponds with it. Um, do you routinely charge for your grafts and membranes? There's so many offices I've seen, just like you said, who charge for the graft and somehow magically the membrane yeah, just the doesn't... membranes cost a lot of money, by Right, and doesn't even make it to the ledger. Uh, so there's huge benefits there in terms of just all the money that we leave on the table that we could recoup, right? So that's a big practice builder. Then the next one is doing things that we're not already doing or that we're not yet doing heavily. So one of our mutual friends uh, who got into sleep apnea after one of your courses, um, he, I just checked this morning, he started doing it about seven months ago and he is just shy of about a hundred grand. That's unbelievable. So he created a whole revenue stream from providing oral appliance therapy to manage obstructive sleep apnea. You know, if you're not doing implants now, and now you get into implants, and implants have some other components that are available to medical, such as surgical stents, implant such removal. as grafts, such as implant <laughs> removal, if they fail. Uh, such as if, come on, when? Sometimes, so, I mean, there's a percentage. Sure. Yeah, there's a percentage. Such as diagnostics and, and things that go with that. Now with just that, quote, one implant service, you actually have four or five other services that might be tied yeah. to it. So these all can be revenue streams for you. Uh, and that can bring in not only more cases and more production, but are kind of coupled to medical billing. So the two kind of go together. Um, in regards to your patients, ex your existing patients, and if you're already doing this stuff, it's such a huge customer service to return a patient's expendable income or help them meet their deductible. One of the earliest uh, claims I ever did was for a friend. This is before code was actually official. I was trying it for friends. I saw the EOB before the doctor. Luckily, the doctor and I had grown up together, and I saw $3,000 had gone to the deductible. Her periodontist had done a, a number of different surgical procedures. And so I was like, wow, she's going to be really angry. You know, this is not going to go well when she calls. So she calls. I see the phone ring. I see her number, and I'm like, okay, I'm expecting to get yelled at. So she calls, and she's like, hey, I just wanted to call and thank you. I'm like, thank me for what? You guys didn't even get paid for anything. You know, basically the patient was totally out of pocket to you. She goes, no, the patient called today, got the EOB. This is the first time in his 10 years at that company that he's ever met his $3,000 deductible. And he cannot believe that this happened. He's so excited. And he's so happy that, that, that his dentist or periodontist met his deductible. He's going to go get checkups and do all this great stuff now. And that was the first time it dawned on me that this isn't necessarily all about me as the dentist getting the check. It's about the customer service, yeah. right? So if your patient gives you three, four, five grand, you've probably done trauma cases that have been, what, 10, 15, 20 grand? If you could meet five grand of the patient's deductible and get them some of their money back, why not? Oh, I call it's that, huge. I call that goodwill. It's huge. You know, goodwill. I call that goodwill. Goodwill to me is the indirect things, the things that you can't necessarily measure, but that help grow your practice over a period of time. Yes. Well, Hutan, you know, um, we've talked about a lot of things today, okay? Uh, hopefully we've given people some insight, greater insight, more specific insight into medical billing. I want, I want to end by giving a couple of points and talking about how to get started, okay? So for me, getting started is, is again, I try to simplify everything. 
to me, the first question is, should I be entering into the medical billing game? Okay. My hope is that we've shown you and helped you understand whether or not medical billing makes sense for your practice by answering some of these common questions. And now we've decided that medical billing is right for us. Now, how do we get started? Okay. And what I would say to everybody is they need to answer a simple question. Do you intend to do it yourself? In other words, do it in your practice, do everything from start to finish, or do you intend to use a third-party service? Okay, And both options are good and both options exist. Now, what I would say is that regardless of whether you do it yourself or whether you outsource it to a third party, it's unbelievably important that you get some education. Because you, as a third-party biller yourself, you can clearly tell those offices that invest in learning about medical billing, maybe not necessarily learning the ins and outs of how to do it, but really learning the documentation, what procedures are billable, what we're leaving on the table, just getting more knowledge from that perspective. They can certainly, you can support them better because they can bill more. And certainly if you, if you intend to do it yourself, you 100% need to get some level of education. In this. Absolutely. Well, what, what would you be your thoughts on, on some of that? Uh, in regards to, so I absolutely agree with you. So let me lay that out, that the education component is there. What I, that needs to be there, I should say. What I would add to that is then from there, you really got to think about how much revenue are you bringing in. So most medical billing companies that you outsource to will charge anywhere from about 8 to 12% mm -hmm. of, of your claims. Of the claims or of the amount received? Of the amount received, claims okay. paid, I should say. So by that logic, if say you are going to be a big hitter, you're going to do three, four hundred thousand dollars a year in medical billing. It might be very well worth it for you to hire somebody in house. And this is you're going full scope medical billing. Someone like you yeah. who does imaging, surgery, and appliances. But I think it's fair to say that I started third party. You did. You started. We, we proved the concept. We saw that it worked, and then I said, "Hey, I can bring this in internally." Right. Now, some offices uh, may not have that level of patience, that level of production, or don't do... Oh, they're not willing to dedicate the time and energy to it. Right. So, for example, then, if you're using a medical billing company, say that charges 8, 9, 10%, and every month they give you, they get you $10,000 in reimbursement, you only owe that company eight, nine hundred, or or $1,000, which is still far less than a full-time employee. So there's some economics to making that decision of if that's a good fit for you or not, uh, of doing it yourself or outsourcing. Um, as you know, a lot of people have uh, started just like you with outsourcing and they've come to some of our courses, a one or two day course that we've done, and they've got graduated from me. We're still friends, we still stay in touch, and I wish them the best. And that's fine too, I, that's totally okay. But it's really, got, it's really something that the office has to sit down between economics, manpower, uh, uh, feasibility, uh, we were talking about a past uh, attendee of our course, and I was telling you how well they're doing in sleep apnea. It obviously made sense for them to do it themselves because the and sheer the yeah, yeah. The, sh the sheer load that they were doing was better. And, and I will readily admit, if you have somebody dedicated to a full-time in office, it will always be an outsourcing company if you can do it yeah. because the person is there right on the spot live. No matter how good an outsourced company is, let's say a benefit check. Yeah. Even on our best day, it'll probably take us 10, 15 minutes to respond. Whereas if the person's there, you could probably do it in 30 seconds to 90 seconds. Yeah, we do it all the time. Right. So these little nuances and these little differences do exist. 
Um, but frankly, T-Bone, for probably, in my opinion, 80%, 90% of offices, it's not a realistic solution to do it in-house. That's certainly not starting out. Starting out, correct. Now, they may get to that point, and that's great. Happy to have that happen. Uh, but that's just not really realistic across the board in a greater majority, 51% or more. Okay. So now we have to do our commercial plug. Okay, so I always believe in providing people the education, the content, and helping them get started. Okay, um, so some people want and need to learn more. Sure. Okay, uh, so what we what we provide, Hutan and I together, is we do one day courses where you lead them, and this is those are specifically for the office that intends to outsource. And the great news in that is the tuition includes one year of initial onboarding with you. Yes, sir. The only fee they would have is the 8 to 10% uh, based on the actual collections as a service fee to you. Correct. Uh, for doing all the claim work, okay? Correct. Um, and then uh, those that want to intend to do it themselves in, in office or just even if they intend to outsource it and just want a much broader breadth of what's possible, we offer two-day hands-on workshops where you bring your own cases, we'll actually submit them, do all of those things. And uh, that's exists, and that's run by both of us. Uh, and typically they run in our office, so you can meet our medical biller internally. You can see more specifically how we're doing things in our practice from an accounting perspective. Uh, whereas with a one-day seminar, we have them in different areas throughout the country, and it's truly focused on how to maximize a third-party medical biller. Yeah, so essentially breaking it down simply, the one-day course is more of a... Uh, outsource solution mm -hmm. you know how do you maximize an outsource solution a company like ours to do the best work for you and to how, how you can use it best to maximize your overall revenue then in the two-day course you and I do we we're of course there to help you after the fact sure. but it is designed to empower the office if so they choose to do it themselves the only word of caution I would give anybody that's taken training okay is I firmly believe that it's useless if you don't bring your team. And you and I have a, this is a somewhat of a disagreement uh, that I think the dentist should always go. Uh, because philosophically what I believe is that if the dentist isn't on board and doesn't understand it, they're putting everything in the lap of a team member and it becomes a little bit harder for them. Sure. Now the where I'm become flexible on this in my recommendation is in the outsourcing program. If they intend to outsource it, I think it's okay for the dentist not to come. But if the intention is to do it yourself and do it in-house, oh, for sure, 100% of the yeah. dentist needs to be there. Absolutely. In fact, it's a requirement with that program. Yes. So. Hutan, it's great having you in. Thanks, Tima. Um, if you have questions and want to learn more about the courses, uh, 3d-dentist.com, or you can visit tbonespeaks.com, and it'll kind of take you there. Uh, if you have additional questions, want to get started with Hutan, want to just even if they want to, somebody wants to chit-chat and see if, if medical billing is specifically right for their practice, how would somebody get in touch with you, Hutan? Sure. Our website is crossoverdental.com. Our company phone number is on that. Uh, feel free to talk to any of my team members. I'll also offer my direct email address. That is Hutan, H-O-O-T-A-N, at codeclaims, with an S, dot com. And, of course, we're all available on Facebook. Facebook, absolutely. If they want to leave a comment on this video, uh, they can do that. And if they have additional questions, leave it in the comment. We're here to answer their questions. And uh, our goal is to help people. If, if our help happens to make you want to take a course from us, great. We'd love to have you. Uh, but otherwise, our goal is to advance, advance dentistry. Sounds good. Thanks, Thank buddy. you. 
Thanks so much for listening to T-Bone Speaks with Dr. Tarun Agarwal. Remember to keep striving for excellence and we'll catch you on the next episode. Hey, podcast family, T-Bone here. Are you a dentist looking to elevate your practice and profits? Then pay close attention. Introducing the 3D Business Mastermind, the dental business coaching program designed for dentists who want to see real results. I've walked the path of practice ownership for nearly 25 years. I know your challenges. I felt your pain. This is your opportunity to overcome the chaos, the busyness, and the financial frustrations of owning a dental practice. Imagine a dental practice where your appointment book is highly productive, doing the dentistry you enjoy, your team is self-motivated, and your profits keep climbing. That's what the 3D Business Mastermind is all about. In this exclusive mastermind, you'll join a league of ambitious dentists driven to elevate their practices. You'll gain access to proven strategies, personalized coaching, and a community that understands your journey. So if you're ready to supercharge your dental practice and enjoy the success you deserve, visit www.3d-dentists.com and take the first step towards a brighter future in dentistry by filling out the 3D Business Mastermind application. Now, Let's get to this week's episode.